So we're going to continue with worship now. If y'all would re- uh, stand, we're going to read the scripture together this week. And uh, in case you're curious, one of the reasons that we're, we're going to pepper in uh, time that we read the scripture together and read the call to worship together and do corporate prayers and readings is because um, as, as we talk about these Thursday morning prayer times, like the Lord is calling us to learn how to commune with him, not just as individuals, but as a community. And these are practices that shape that for us. So uh, let's read this scripture together. Brothers, join in Uh, y'all can have a seat. Father, would you, uh, would you come and do what you always do, Lord? You are a faithful God. You love us with a steadfast love. You keep your promises to us. All of your promises are yes and amen in Jesus. And for some reason, uh, we keep trying to run away from him. We keep trying to, to find something other than the cross to live through. Um, and so, Lord, Forgive us, thank you for being so gentle and patient with us, but Lord, lead us, lead us to the cross. Lord, lead us to glorying in the cross and putting no confidence in the flesh. So tonight, as we um, open your word here, as we hear you speak to us through this passage, we ask you to transform us. Um, Every single one of us, Lord, don't leave us the same as when we came here. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, when I was a senior in high school, I was trying to figure out where I was going to college. Um, the place, one of the places I really wanted to go was the University of Virginia, and I, I wasn't able to get in there, uh, and I knew that before I even applied, so I didn't apply it. But another place <laughs> that I really wanted to go was Wake Forest, and that's, that's where I ended up going. And, um, and so as I, I went to do like the accepted students day and visit, uh, I, I wasn't seeing a lot of people that I really connected with, but my mom, uh, she was friends with a, a woman who had a son who was at a senior at Wake Forest, and his name was Nate Kerr. And uh, Nate, for Saved by the Bell fans, was like a real-life Zach Morris. Um, he was just this really cool dude. And so um, she had set up for Nate and I to have lunch together. And so I was going around and seeing all this stuff, and I was like, man, I love this place, but I just don't see anybody that really connect with. And so I go meet uh, Nate for lunch and, and we start walking around campus together. And Nate is the man, I quickly find out. Um, every attractive girl that walks by is like, hi, Nate. And he's like, hey. And then like all the cafeteria ladies are like, Nate, baby, what's up? And he's like, hey, hey. And all these guys are like, Nate, what's up, man? And I'm like, this is the dude right here. And so like I was sitting down at this lunch just taking notes. I mean, I was like, who is this dude? Like, what is he up to? Like, however he is navigating this college, like, this is the way forward. I'm like, you know, Nate, what, you know, tell me about you. And he's like, well, yeah, you know, I'm in this fraternity. I'm like, okay, note to self, I'm going to be in that fraternity. And, and literally, I mean, I literally was thinking that at the time. And I don't know if you guys have like these 
moments like I'm sharing right now where you just see somebody down the road in front of you a little bit and you just think like, that's what I need to be like. And so I'm just, now I'm a student of this person. I'm taking notes. And um, that is, that's what we're talking about tonight. That's what Paul's talking about in this passage. Um, It's this idea that um, when we do that, the reason we're doing that is because we are trying to shore up our future. We're trying to guard against an uncertain future. I want things to go a certain way. I want my life to look a certain way. And so I'm gonna find somebody who I think can help me. You look like you have the secret sauce. You look like you know the password. You look like you're an insider. And so I need to get around you and figure out like, what do you know and how do I follow you? And so um, as we, we've been going through the study of this uh, letter to the Philippians from Paul, and it's, it's the joy in losing because, as we say every week, uh, the world is always telling us that joy is found in gaining more, consuming more. And Paul is saying, no, no, Jesus was right. Joy is found in losing, losing yourself and gaining Jesus. And so tonight, uh, the title of the sermon is the joy in losing your unknown future. And so Paul is, is saying the same thing. He's saying Christianity is a following religion. Um, there is no such thing. I mean, this is like maybe mind-blowing for some of y'all to hear me say this. There is no such thing as being a Christian or, or being a part of Christianity or following Jesus if you are not following other human beings who are following Jesus. This cannot happen in a vacuum. Jesus started this whole religion <laughs> By saying what to his disciples? Anybody? Follow me. And what he meant by that was like literally leave your physical space and come with me where I physically am. Listen to the words that I'm saying. Do the things that I'm doing. Live life with me. Eat with me. Sleep in the same place. Drink with me. Do all of these things. And, and what we've kind of made it into, and we'll sort of get into why we've done this, is the, the natural way that we are always wanting to morph this thing is, I don't know, what Jesus really meant was just like, listen to my ideas and give theoretical assent that you agree in theory to what I'm saying, and then go do whatever you feel like. But that is not following Jesus. That is not being a disciple of Jesus. That is not Christianity. And so Paul is saying, listen, you're going to want to live that way. And there are two roads here. You know, it's Robert Frost here. Like, there are two roads diverging in the wood, and, and there are only two roads. These roads, you know, like one of these roads has a whole lot of little tiny roads, but they all lead to the same place. There are only two roads. And, and to borrow from something that Paul said earlier in this chapter in verse 3, One road is this. One road is people who glory in the flesh and put no confidence in the cross of Jesus. And there's a million different forms, and we'll talk a little bit about that when we get there. But that is one road. The other road is people who put no confidence in the flesh and glory in the cross of Jesus. And he's saying, you cannot escape being a follower. I cannot escape being a follower. That is how we were wired. And to to be a Christian is a following religion, but be so careful about who you are following. Be so, so careful about who you are modeling your life after. And if you don't think you're following anybody, you need to be really careful because you are and you just don't even know who it is and how that's seeping into your life. 
Following Jesus is following people. Um, right now, our almost three-year-old field, every morning at breakfast when our boys are sitting at the counter, he's got two older brothers, and I say, all right, Field, what do you want for breakfast? What, what kind of cereal do you want for breakfast? He says, what kind of cereal is Hayes having? That's his older brother. It's like everything. Uh, I don't know, what's, what does Hayes want? Because he thinks Hayes is so cool, and he wants to follow Hayes. And so whatever kind of cereal I need to eat to be like Hayes, that's the cereal I'm hungry for this morning. Paul says here, join in imitating me. And, and I want to just stop here. You know, we don't talk like this a lot. You haven't heard me say anything like, uh, hey, you guys just watch me and live life the way that I live and you're gonna be just fine. Because that sounds pretty arrogant, right? But Paul, what Paul is saying here is not arrogant. It's healthy. And I, I want us to hear this. He says, join in imitating me. It's really important that he says it like that. Join, join me in imitating me. Um, Paul is not coming up with all of this off the top of his head. Paul is not saying, just follow all of my preferences. All the things that I wake up this morning and feel like are good or bad, like you just do whatever I do. Paul is saying, no, no, I'm actually actively following somebody myself. I'm following Jesus. And I'm trying to follow his example. I'm trying to model my life after him in his power. And so join in imitating me. You imitate me because Jesus is no longer here with us in the flesh. You need somebody physical and tangible to watch and to follow. And so you follow me as I follow him. Join in imitating me. And he says, keep your eyes on. The Greek word, I love when I get to say Greek words because it sounds really um, scholastic, but that, the word for keep your eyes on in this verse is skopeo. And so that word scope, it sounds like to scope out. Um, and that's what it means, to watch carefully, exert effort in continual watching. It made me think like if you were an alien and you were trying to figure out how to pretend like you were a human um, and you're just like following people around, taking notes. And the reason I thought about this this week is because I saw a tweet um, that my wife shared with me that somebody said, me explaining underwear to an alien. We have smaller secret pants that we wear under our normal pants. <laughs> Well, that was pretty good. But um, he says, example, like follow this example. That's a model of behavior to be imitated. The whole purpose is to imitate. Discipleship is more caught than taught. So, I mean, there's a very real sense. I mean, we've said this before, but like somebody could come and, and hear sermons from me or from anybody else who's preaching the gospel Every week, week in, week out, you can read books, you can hear sermons, you can listen to podcasts, you can find somebody much more capable than I am. You can find Tim Keller, anybody, whoever that is for you. And if you are not living life with people, you are either going to grow very little or not at all. Because that is the whole design of this thing, is it is communal. Jesus says we are the body of Christ. We, we are, it is caught more than taught. And Paul, in all of this, like, let's not miss the implication here. He is expecting every single Christian to follow other people who are following Jesus. He is expecting every single person who is following Jesus to actually be following other people who are following other people who are following Jesus. And, he, and he's also saying it's a normal thing for every single Christian to have people coming behind them following them. 
So it's like going back to the alien motif. It's like um, I'm just seeing people who are following Jesus, who maybe are a little more mature than I am, who are a little further down the road than me, and I'm just learning from them. Like, okay, how does this person handle conflict? How does this person think about their sexuality? How does this person think about their career and how they even find a career? How does this person deal with hard times? And, and, and when they're tempted to despair, what do they do? How does this person hear from God? I hear people all the time talk about, okay, well, God told me this and I heard this and when I was praying, God said this. What does that mean? Like, how does this person hear from God? It's like, I, I'm just finding people who are a little further down the road and, and taking notes. And like, this shouldn't surprise us because this is how all of life is as a human. We were created this way. I mean, think about it. Think about it in your career. You know, there are people in our midst. Um, we have somebody in our congregation who, I won't say her name, but her name rhymes with Peg. And Peg's a nurse. And uh, people tell people at this hospital all the time, you want to be a good nurse? You follow Peg. Like, that's what you do. And whatever career you're in, that's what happens, right? You don't just... Nobody graduates college or any kind of professional school and just goes to work without any help. Or if they do, very quickly they go back and try to find somebody who's been doing it longer and say, hey, actually, that wasn't a good idea. Like, can you teach me? Can I watch you? Can I follow you? That's how we were made. Think about athletics or any kind of sport or any kind of hobby. I think about cycling is something that's been really big in my life. And it, it's like I learned so much just by riding with guys who've been riding for a long time because they see you doing weird stuff and you feel yourself doing weird stuff. Like, yeah, don't do that. Like, that's not helpful. But it's like you don't know that from like reading a book or just going out by yourself and trying hard every time. Like, that's just how all of life has been designed. It, it starts early. We have these things called mirror neurons um, that I know just enough about to tell you what I'm about to tell you, and then that's where it stops. <laughs> but like mirror neurons are these these neurons in our brains that uh, teach me how to deal with life as an infant by watching the people around me, their faces. So like as life is happening, I'm looking at you in the face to see how you're responding to it. And that's literally how I'm going to respond to it. That's how we first learn how to respond to life. So I mean, it's just, it's just hardwired in. It's just baked in. But in our pride, we... <laughs> We don't wanna believe that we need to follow anybody, but it's important to go back and, and be reminded by Paul of this. Um, what a kindness of God. We are so weak and we are so limited. What a kindness of God to give us people in the flesh to follow, right? Like that's amazing to just stop and think about that. And here's something even more amazing. Think about like ancestry.com. Every single person who really knows Jesus and is really following Jesus like, I mean, we don't know who they are, of course, but like we could trace our spiritual ancestry back to the disciples. How amazing is that? And to think like, I was thinking this week as Paul is, is writing to the original audience, this church in Philippi, like maybe because there was a man or a woman who was sitting out there uh, hearing this letter read over them and they thought, yeah, like following this example, maybe because the Lord stirred them to think that way, like that was the line that led to me. It's just amazing to, to, to think about that. But like from the beginning of this whole thing, it's about following. And I think about people in my life, you know, I, uh, 
my dad and my campus minister and some Christian friends uh, in college, when I came to faith, these guys were further down the road than me. I think about my wife, I think about my father-in-law, I think about Nick, I think about Randy Drawn and Dave Burden and George Landold and my pastor in Charlotte, Mark Upton. I think about all these people, these men and women that God has surrounded me with. And you take those people out of my life and there's an astronomical void that is left. Like, life is totally different without those people that I'm intentionally following. The people that God has been so kind to put in my path to follow. And there's never a time when we graduate from that, this side of heaven. There's never a time that we grow enough or learn enough to where we can just say, I, I stop. Now everybody can just follow me and I don't need to follow anybody else anymore. That's just not how this works. Anybody who is truly a disciple of Jesus is intentionally following people who are following Jesus by following other people who are following Jesus. That's it. And so um, Paul is saying, remember, this is a thing. You're gonna follow people, but it, it matters so greatly how, who you follow um, because the end of, of one road leads to death and the end of the other road leads to life. And so Paul, now, as we walk into the rest of this passage, breaks down, um, here are the people not to follow, and then here are the people to follow. And so first, the people not to follow, do not, <laughs> do not follow people who glory in the flesh and put no confidence in the cross. Do not follow them. We don't know exactly who Paul is referencing here, but we know that he is pained. And he is either pained because these are people who were once in their midst, they were once in this congregation, and then they left. Or they are people who, as they spread this false version of Christianity, are influencing people that Paul cares about. And he is watching people's lives harmed by following after this teaching of people who are walking as enemies of the cross. They are living their lives opposed to the way of life that Jesus modeled and Jesus teaches us to follow. The cross, um, wh why are they doing that? Why are they walking in opposition to the cross? Why are they walking as enemies of the cross? Well, because the cross uh, is a problem for our pride. The cross offends worldly power and pride. It says that apart from Jesus, you are wicked and you are helpless and you do not understand. You and I, apart from Jesus, are like a stupid, evil baby. That's offensive, right? That's basically what he's saying. It's like the cross says that you are so wicked, you are apart from God, you have set up your whole life in opposition to the God of the universe who is the only one who is good and righteous. You are enslaved. You are, you are dead in your sins, and here's the worst part, you don't even know it. You can't even see it. And so that's why the message of the cross is offensive. And those who walk as enemies of the cross say, I don't want God's help. I don't need God's help. I don't need God. I can do it myself. My power, my gifts, my intelligence, my family stock, my connections, my looks, my good deeds, my strength, me, 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 me. Putting all confidence in the flesh and none in the cross of Jesus, you can do this in one of two ways. You can either do this, uh, as Tim Keller says, you can do this religiously or you can do this irreligiously. Think about it religiously. Every other religion in the world 
has something to say about us needing to do something or earn something. If we do this, then God will do this. If we can just follow this path, if we can memorize this stuff, if we can put these statues in our house, if we can do these things, then we'll be okay. And so at some, at some level, it's us who is securing our future for ourselves. Even false ways that people try to follow Jesus in, in uh, Christian churches. It's, I mean, you know, here in our neck of the woods in the Presbyterian church, it's what you know. If I just learn enough theology, if I just know enough, then God will have to bless me and I'll be okay. Anything where we are adding something, anything where, where it hinges on us and our performance and our mental ability or, or whatever um, is, is to stand in opposition to the cross because the cross says you bring nothing except your sin. And Jesus is so glad to be your savior, but you need to understand that you bring nothing. This can also happen irreligiously. I can be my own God. Um, something that you see a lot now is just this vague spirituality where, you know, who defines it? Uh, me, that's who. Um, you know, spirituality kind of works like this, and I believe that there's somebody out there that kind of like this. Cool, where'd you get that from? Uh, I kind of just spliced together these things that I read that I kind of wanted. Just made my own religion. Or the people who think all religion is bogus. It's just um, have this brash confidence to just stand in my own power. Like, I'm just gonna live life however I wanna live. And that's what Paul's talking about here when he says these people, um, they walk as enemies of the cross and he's, he kind of goes out of order here, but I think it's for effects. Like, just wanna go ahead and get this out there. Their end is destruction. Not a good way to go. But he says their God is their belly. It's your, your desires, your appetites. It's your God. Like, whatever I feel like is what I'm gonna do. They glory in their shame. When they are successful at living life on their own terms, they celebrate, but they don't even understand that that is the shame. It's like the God of the universe has set up this, this way to be reunited with him and reconciled to him in his infinite goodness and mercy and love. And we are actually boasting in how we don't need that. They are glorying in their shame. And when I live like that, I'm glorying in my shame too. Minds with mindset on earthly things. And so you have to ask this question, okay, like, why would, why would we want to live this way? Why would I still want to live this way from time to time, fairly frequently, as someone who is following Jesus? And part of the answer, at least, is because um, Jesus didn't get the American dream. Like, Jesus' life didn't look like I want my life to look at all. You know, the only one who was perfect, the only man who was ever righteous, the only one to ever live who was a, a truly good man uh, was not successful in his work. He wasn't wealthy, he wasn't sexually fulfilled, he wasn't well thought of by most people, and he died alone on a cross. I don't want that to be my story. And so I want to find some other way. Surely, let me just read the footnotes. Surely there is some other way that I can follow Jesus and still kind of have things on my own terms. And Paul's saying, you know, there's not. Um, and here's, here's the saddest thing of all is 
Um, it's really even hard to see this because he says in other letters that the whole world lies under the power. Apart from Jesus, the whole world lies under the power of the evil one. The evil one, the enemy of God, has blinded us to the goodness of God and sold us a lie. It says that he masquerades as an angel of light so that he sells us these things over and over again to say, no, no, you don't need the cross. You can skip the cross. You can have life this other way. But then Paul says this in Romans 6, and this, this is evidence of our slavery. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one that you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? And then he asks this question, for when you were uh, slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Paul's saying, look, you keep living this way, but let me ask you, like, what are you getting from this? Nothing, and you know that you're getting nothing from this, but you can't stop because you're powerless. You need the cross, you need the power of Christ in your life, you need to beg for him to come and save you from yourself, to save you from this prison you're in because you keep enslaving yourself to the same things. You know it, but you cannot stop it. And that is why we glory in the cross. The flesh is powerless to transform and the flesh is powerless to save. And so practically, before we move on to the next group of people, what do people with minds set on earthly things look like? People who glory in their flesh. Here's, here's some indicators. And, and this is true of people who live this way and, um, all the time, and this is true of me and you when, when we're in Christ, but we, we also dip into living this way. Um, I've never stopped or started doing anything significant out of a love of Jesus. A love for Jesus has never motivated me to, to do anything. Um, I cannot escape the pride and despair trap. I'm living life either flying high and I'm the man or things are not going well and I'm totally despairing. I'm caught between these two, these high and low all the time. I can't escape the fear and anger trap. I'm so terrified because I know how frail I am and I'm trying to make my way in my own power. And so when anything, you or anyone else stands up against me, uh, I get very angry very quickly if you try to cross me and prevent me from being my own God. Love and concern for others is only a very shallow veneer. When I am only thinking about me, I cannot love you. And other than maybe some religious practices like coming to church or wearing certain things or doing certain things, there's really no difference between my life and the life of the, the world around me. Uh, it all ends up like a really big, bad Cormac McCarthy novel. It's pretty bleak. But Paul says, hey, we're not stopping here. Here are the people to follow, the people who glory in the cross and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And here's something you need to know to sort of get the force of what Paul's saying here, is he's making a play on this Roman citizenship thing going on here. So Philippi is, is sort of this outpost of the Roman Empire, but they have empire status. And so these Philippians, most of them had Roman citizenship, which was like a big deal, it was like an honor. It's like instead of being from podunk nowhere, like you're from New York City or Washington DC, you're like from this place of power. And it comes with, it's more than that because it comes with these, these rights that Roman citizens have. Uh, another thing you need to know is that the term savior, 
was a, very, uh, a term very frequently used for the emperor himself. And so Paul, what he's really saying here is, um, look, don't be fools. You're so excited about having this Roman citizenship and you're so excited about having this savior. Uh, no, 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 we have a citizenship from heaven. The God of the universe is our savior, the one who actually has the power and the desire to come and change things for us. Does, does the emperor have the power to transform your life? No, and if he did, would he use it to do that? No, he doesn't care about you. But the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, came and put on flesh and, and let himself be crucified because he loves you. And that is the power to transform your whole life. It's the power to bring people from death to life. It's the power to bring people from the slavery to flesh into this eternal kingdom and union with God forever. So he's saying, hey, don't get caught up in the things of this world. Get caught up in the reality of, of what is now and what's coming. What you're gonna be increasingly aware of, what, it, what is gonna be increasingly coming towards you, this future of yours that is secure and is eternal. I think about, um, some of y'all heard me say this before, but it's really made me laugh a lot. Um, not in people's faces, but just to myself as they're talking um, about the COVID vaccine because we kind of went through this window here where like um, people were talking like it was Christmas. Like, hey, you know, you're walking past neighbors. How's it going? Good, I got the vaccine. Or good, I'm getting the vaccine next week. And I'm like, this is not a, this is, what I'm saying is not a commentary on the, the vaccine. It's just that I wanna like remind these people, like they're acting like my life, I've arrived, like something is gonna happen now. And what I wanted to say was like, yeah, but, you're still the same person you were before COVID. So like really, you're just kind of getting back to level, which was like, you weren't really that happy anyway. Like the vaccine doesn't have this magical power to change you into a different person. <laughs> and neither does that promotion or more money in your bank account or moving to a different neighborhood or dating a different person or marrying a different person. Like none of these things have the power to really transform the thing that is killing you, which is you. It just puts you in a different place. And it's like this, like when you call a, a company and they have people from overseas that are manning the phone lines and even before you get to those people, the whole first, first line of defense for them is like the automated voice that's not even a real person. And you're like, yeah, I'm trying to get to uh, this, like, please say this again, you know, like, and you're like, I, I just need to talk to somebody. Please tell, I can't hear you. Like, please t tell me like either this or that. And you're like, I don't need either of those things. I just need to talk to a human. And like, the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is the scheme that the evil one is doing with all of our lives. It's like, we are on this constant merry-go-round of trying to call and talk to an automated voice and then talk to somebody who doesn't understand what we're saying. And then we never actually get to where we wanna go. And he's saying like, I'm trying to set up the world to where you will live like that forever. And you will go round and round on this little merry-go-round and it will end in destruction, but all the time promising you life. And every time you chase down that little nugget that you thought was gonna be the difference maker, it disappoints you again. And Paul's saying, hey, don't go down that road and you don't have to go down that road. You have everything you need already in Christ. And guess what? He's coming back. We don't hope he's coming back. We know he's coming back. And we're already citizens of heaven. You don't need this. You don't need this person to validate you. You have the God of the universe who said, that's my son, that's my daughter. 
1 Corinthians 1.18 says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Nobody wants the cross. Nobody wants to live like that. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the only thing that can transform our lives, that can bring us from death to life. So what does it look like, these citizens of heaven who are awaiting their savior? What, what does it look like um, when you watch these people live their lives? Well, here's, here's a few things. One is there's a peace and a freedom because the savior is coming. I don't have to have everything work out according to my plans now. I'm not at this fever pitch anxiety level because everything is riding on this next promotion or this next thing or this next relationship. Nothing is riding on those things. Like my future is secure. So there's a peace, there's a freedom. There's something different about them because the world is not their home. Um, they're like this lovable foreigner who like doesn't quite get all the things because it's like, this is not my primary place where I'm learning how to live life. Like I'm, I'm learning how to live life from my, my savior and my father in my home country. Like that's, that's where I'm learning how to live. And so sometimes I'm not, I'm not always gonna line up with what's going on here. There's a humility and a desire to grow. Um, my flesh is no longer my identity. It's a prison that like I would love your help getting out of. So like when you come to me and say, hey, like you offended me or you sinned against me, instead of saying like, okay, cool, I'm writing you out of my life forever. Uh, I say, hey, tell me more because I actually don't want to live like that. <laughs> I'm tired of living like that. There's a contentment and gratitude for the cross. And there's a love. There's finally a love for the world around us. Because until I've been loved by Jesus, I can't really love anybody else or be concerned about this community that I live in. People often think like, okay, well, if, if you're just waiting for Jesus to come back, then you're, you're gonna be no earthly good. Like you're just gonna be sitting around singing hymns no, no, no. When I understand that Jesus is coming back, this is the first time that I'm actually able to engage this community I live in because I can stop thinking about myself for two seconds and think about somebody else and go out and serve and love them the way that Jesus has loved me. So to bring all this, bring it all home, land the plane, um, Paul's saying, hey, look, you gotta know that there is a pull that is so strong and so constant all the days of our lives to make your God your stomach, to make your God your desires. And you're gonna need men and women in your life who are a little more mature than you to follow, to see these tangible lives that you can learn from them. And so my question to us is, what would it look like? What would it look like at Midtown West if each of us just identified one of those people and said, hey, can I just learn from you? Like, can we spend some time together? Can I just learn, like, uh, how do you think about this? Or um, I, I'm having some, some hard time thinking about this other thing over here. Can we just spend a little time together and just see what happens? And so I wanna stop and ask, um, not to answer out loud, but why would you not do that? Like that's how God designed us to live. The worst thing that can happen is somebody say like, man, I would love to, but I'm, I'm busy right now. You just ask somebody else, or you can ask me and we'll put you in touch with somebody else. We'll make it happen. So just think about the reasons that you're sitting there thinking, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. And you, and you owe it to yourself to give you some thought of like, why not? But imagine what that would be like if, if the Lord united us like that 
and we were all kind of following him by, by following each other closely and like what that, what that might do. So um, Paul says, you're following somebody. You might as well be intentional about it. So as, as we go into to worship, uh, we're gonna have a, a minute or two here to just reflect and ask the Lord what he's, what he's saying to you through this. Father, would you, um, again, would you just come and, and do a good work? Would you come and uh, change us? And right now, specifically, I ask that you would put individual men and women in each of our hearts, in our mind's eye, uh, who, who would fit this description, somebody who's maybe just a little bit further down the road. And uh, would you give us the humility to admit that we don't know everything? Would you give us the humility and the courage that we need and the faith to believe that maybe if you were calling us to, to uh, ask somebody to spend time together, that uh, there's a good reason for that. And, um, and we wanna follow you into life. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.